This morning, if you would look on the screen today, we go to scripture today. I believe that people are hungry for the word of the Lord, and I pray that you're hungry for God's word. There's nothing like it. This morning in this service, I want to speak on this subject, the doctrine of the humanity, of, of Jesus' humanity. Now, last week we spoke about, what did we speak about? The deity of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God. Today we want to bring before this congregation the word of God as we talk about and we speak about and teach about the humanity of Jesus. Here's what we believe as New Testament Christians. We believe that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. That is this, that Jesus is God in the flesh. That would be a wonderful place to shout a hearty amen. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. John said this in the NLT, it, it's very clear. So the word became human. That, that is God became human and made his home among us. God became human. We believe in the deity of Jesus. But, but think about this. It's important that we look at this verse. In fact, let me look at this out of the NLT. And then I'll read another verse and we'll just stay standing for just a moment. So the word became human and, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the, fa the father's one and only son. Now, understand this. It's important that we get this. This is not subtraction. Not subtraction. This is addition. This is spiritual addition, meaning this. Jesus did not cease to become God when he became man. He, as God, took upon humanity. Did you hear that? Very important. Not subtraction. When Jesus, he never ceased to be God, but he, he took upon himself humanity. That is this. God became a man. Jesus Christ is the God-man, fully God, fully man. And I say hallelujah to the word of God today. So here's the message. How important is it that we believe in the doctrine of the humanity of Jesus? Often we're focusing on the deity of Jesus, which we should. But today I want to bring upon you the weight of the humanity of Jesus. Here's how important it is. Let me answer the question. How important is it that we believe in this doctrine of the humanity of Jesus? Here's how important it is. A denial of the humanity of Jesus is a denial of the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear this, a gospel that refuses to proclaim both the deity and the humanity of Jesus is a gospel that will not save. That's how important it is. Here's our text today. It'll be on the screen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. 
And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The doctrine of the humanity of Jesus. Father, bless our hearts. I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds upon this great subject. Lord, you said we're to love you with all our heart and with all our minds today. Fill our minds with truth today. And we ask for your assistance and your Holy Spirit anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to be seated. Thank you. Now, as we look at this text of Scripture today, John shares several things with us that are helpful to us. One of the things we see in this first John text is this. We see that we need, number one, a healthy skepticism when listening to preaching. I would actually discourage perusing through YouTube sermon after sermon after sermon, unless you really know what you believe. Now, I don't believe in being a skeptic. That's not what I said. But I believe that we need a healthy skepticism when listening to preaching, any preaching, any minister, including this minister. We need a healthy skepticism when listening to preaching. Why do I, why do I say that? Because that's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says here, do not believe every spirit. Now, what does that mean? Do not believe every spirit. It means this. The NLT clarifies it. He said, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. That means this. Someone who comes and says, I have a message from God. Well, they may have a message from God. They may not have a message from God. It has to correspond with the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. How about you? So we need to have a healthy skepticism. It says here, it clearly says to the Christians, you need to test the spirits. That literally, you know, I would interpret that we need to measure everything that's said by the word of God. Does it measure up to what the apostles and Jesus gave us? in the word of God. We need a healthy skepticism when listening to preaching. Number two, this would be helpful that if a teacher denies the humanity of Jesus, it indicates that he is a false teacher and he is not from God. That means God has not sent him. Remember I told you when I started this mini series that, what, that normally Christian cults Normally, where they get it wrong is in their Christology. They get it wrong having to do with the ministry and the message and the person of Jesus. So we need to know that if someone denies that Jesus was a human being, they are a false teacher. God has not sent them. Number three, I would, John indicates that to deny Jesus' humanity means that that person is not speaking by the Spirit of God. Many people claim to be speaking by the Spirit of God, and they're just emotional. They're just titillating the emotions. They're on a soulish, surface level. Jesus talked about the seed that would be planted in the shallow soil. That doesn't mean it's anointed. If, it's, if it doesn't correspond to the teaching of the Word of God, I don't care how charismatic someone is, how persuasive someone is, how many natural gifts someone has. It is not anointed by God unless it corresponds with the Word of God. The, that's a spirit of antichrist. Note this. Note that the Holy Spirit knows the truth about Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit speaks the truth about Jesus' humanity. Why do we know he speaks the truth about Jesus' humanity? Because the Holy Spirit was there when Jesus Christ came in human flesh. The Holy Spirit was there. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's words. Listen to what Luke says in chapter 1, verse 34 and 5. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? She had asked the angel. The angel said, you're going to have a child. She said, how can I have a child? I've never known a man. And now here's the answer. The angel said, how, or she said, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And that Holy One, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. How do we know that a person who denies the humanity of Jesus is not speaking by the Spirit of God? Because the Holy Spirit was there when Jesus was placed in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally born. Born, that is. Now, There was someone in the first century that the apostles had to deal with. And you'll actually find this on Wikipedia also. And uh, it was a man named Serenthus. And he was a man who denied the humanity of Jesus. And I'll quote this. He was a Gnostic false teacher of John's day. And we read read our text out of 1 John. Now listen. He denied the incarnation, that is Jesus becoming a human. He denied the incarnation by teaching that the divine Christ descended on the human Jesus at his baptism. Meaning meaning that, that deity came on Jesus at his baptism. That's wrong. He's always been deity. We, I won't go back into that. I'll take a rabbit trail here. I got enough to say here, I promise you. I quote on. And then departed before his crucifixion. John teaches that Jesus did not, listen, John teaches that Jesus did not merely enter into an already existing human being, but he came as a human being. Now listen, I'm quoting from the, the, the NSB study Bible. Should have said that. Now quote this. I continue to quote. Listen, the Greek tense of the word... Now, this is astounding to me. Let's track with me here. Are you with me? Come on. Here. The Greek tense of the verb has come and the meaning of the noun flesh indicates that not only did Jesus come in as a human being, but he is still a human being. Now, some of you have missed that. He is still a human being. Even as John wrote, God the Son is forever, forever fully God and fully man. He is immortal and has received a resurrected human body that did not age or die. A denial of Jesus' full and true humanity proves that a teacher is not from God, close quote. Can you imagine today someone who loved us so much that he came and he entered this human condition, truly became a man, but not just a man, God in human flesh. And when he resurrected back, he did not lose his humanity. He has his perfect deity and his perfect humanity. And he's at the right hand of God. And he is our elder brother, Jesus. And he is there representing us today. That's how much he loves us. What does the humanity of Jesus mean to us today? Three things I want to say about this. 
Number one is this. Jesus, that is God in the flesh, experienced the human condition in all of its, get this word, commonalities. Jesus experienced the human condition in all of its commonalities. There's something common to the human condition that all of us experience. In many ways, we are, we are so much alike. Every single one of us, no matter where you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what country you're from, no matter where you're from, there's a commonality, there's a common thread that we all experience the human condition in so many ways. Now, we often focus on the deity of Jesus, and he is God. He does things that only God can do. He walks on water. He speaks, and healing takes place. He is the Son of God. But I hope today that you leave this place with something so big in your heart that you realize that not only was he God in the flesh, but he was a human being. He was a man that relates to us in all of the commonalities of life. Now, think about this. We see Jesus, yes, in his deity and his glory that way, but we also see what I just call his glorious, his glorious humanity. And his glorious humanity is really his glorious humility that God stepped out of heaven face to face with the Father from all eternity past, needing nothing. You know, I heard people say, well, God needs, God needs nothing. Jesus needs nothing. He certainly doesn't need me or you. But he wants us. He chose us. He loves us. I read in Philippians, who being in the, who being in the form of God. You know what the form, you know what that word means? It, means? it means the expression of something visual, spatial, that reflects or manifests fully and truly and permanently the essence of what something is. That means this. Jesus just didn't appear to be a man like some of the false teachers believe. When you saw Jesus 2,000 years ago, God came into this space. He came, he was born in a town called Bethlehem. And when Jesus was teaching and preaching, God had showed up in their space. God came to earth. Humanity, he truly was a man. It, did, it said he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why did he have to grab it something that he, he, it, he was? Notice, but he made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Romans says it this way in 8.3, sending his son in the, light, in the likeness of sinful flesh. I like the way Paul gets it from the Holy Spirit. It says that yet for your sake, he became poor. See, it says, for you know the grace of, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was yet rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, you might become rich. Do you know we are rich today? You say, wait a second. Are you one of those prosperity preachers? Yes, I'm one of those spiritual prosperity preachers. I'm telling you, we have the riches of the grace of God at the name of Jesus. We are the most rich people on the face of the earth today because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How rich we are. John says it in his writings this, the glory, Jesus said, and the glory 
what you gave me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. What glory is that? Jesus said, I've given them, my disciples, my people, the glory that you gave me. D.A. Carson, the great scholar, says this. The glory includes his humble incarnation. The world looks at the incarnation. The world looks at Jesus. Many people say he's nothing more than a man. He was nothing more than a poor man who maybe had great speaking ability, who started a religion, but that's all he is. How could you glorify? How could there be any glory hanging on a cross with nails in your feet and nails in your hand? But that's what the world sees. But they're blinded. It is the glory. The cross is the glory of our God because it was there in his humility that his love and his righteousness is most clearly displayed to humanity. Jesus came to earth. And he experienced all the commonalities of life. What do you mean, Pastor? He was born. He spent nine months in his mother's womb, Mary. I know he was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, no earthly father. As I've read, Holy Spirit did that. But he he was in his mother's womb just like you and I were. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. Luke writes and says, and it came to pass in the days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. A census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so that all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Notice Joseph, this was his father, legal father. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. To Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread, that is. Because he was the house of the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary. Feels like Christmas, doesn't it? Come on. It's not a Christmas story. This is a gospel story. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. How many of you ladies in here have experienced with child. You know what that is, ladies. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Jesus was born. Jesus was carried in his mother's womb. Jesus was laid in a, nothing but a, a cattle trough there in Bethlehem. I enjoyed my time in Bethlehem, even though the PLO control it now. I enjoyed my time in the shepherd's caves. When we went down in those caves where they believed that sheep were kept, and we began to worship God out where those, maybe those shepherds worshiped the Lord and sang and heard the angels, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus was born in that town. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, 1965, December 31st. I was born. You were born. Jesus was born. See, Jesus became a man. He experienced all the commonalities of life. Jesus had a normal body which could be handled, which could be touched. When, when eight days later, when Mary and Joseph went to have Jesus circumcised in the temple on the eighth day, it's when the blood coagulates. The Bible said Simeon had been waiting for the Messiah 
And finally, old man Simeon, this old prophet of God, he, the Holy Spirit leads him in there and he sees Jesus. And guess what he does? He takes Jesus, the baby Jesus, in his hands. And it says, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, now I can depart in peace, etc." He took Jesus. Jesus had a real body, a human body that Simeon took in his hands. The apostles Touch Jesus. It says in John, that which is from the beginning, that's Jesus. We have heard, we've heard Jesus teach, which we have seen with our eyes, which you've looked upon. And John says, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, they touched Jesus. He touched them. Jesus was a real man. He experienced all the commonalities of life. Do you know there's an earth, they believe, the scholars believe there's an early church hymn in 1 Timothy 3.16. He was one of the doctrines they, they rehearsed over and over again. It's the humanity of Jesus. It goes like this, without question. This is, this is a great mystery of the faith, of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body. Not only that, but Jesus experienced the commonalities of life. He grew up, he developed like any other Jewish boy did. He grew up in such a common town that I believe if Jesus had not graced that town, we would never, it would have never been mentioned in the annals of history. The only, the only glory is that the Son of God grew up in this place called Nazareth. It was so common that when Philip said to Nathaniel in John 1, he said, we have found him who Moses said in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, we found the Messiah. What did Nathaniel say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was not only a common town, it seems to be kind of a town with a bad reputation. Do you know that Jesus experienced all the commonalities of life? He was born he grew up in a Jewish home. Do you realize that we find Jesus at 12 years old? He grows up in Nazareth. He has brothers. He has sisters. He does things that boys do. But we see, even in his humanity, we see flashes of deity. When he was 12 years old, him and his family went to the feast. And at the feast, he stayed back. And his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, traveled a day that way, they realized he wasn't in the caravan. He was doing what boys do. You know what they do? They just go around and get into stuff. They traveled a day back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. They had a whole day of searching. And finally, on the third day, they find him sitting in the temple with the scholars and the religious leaders. They're astounded at his understanding. We see a 12-year-old boy, but yet we see a flash of deity. Because he's not just man, he's the God-man, right? His mother chastises him. Don't you know that you worried us? He said in a flash of deity, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business or to be in my father's house? He is truly God, but he was truly man. We know this. Luke says this in chapter 2, verse 51. Then he went down with them. And he, this is after that scene of when... Mary chastised him. Got to be pretty tough to chastise Jesus. Come on, mama. 
Then he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he was subject to them. But his mother kept all of these things in her heart. Now look at this. He grew up just like any Jewish boy. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. The the Full Life Study Bible has a marvelous comment. Look on the screen. He says this, this, this is all the Bible tells us, and I quote, about Jesus' teen and young adult years. Between Luke 2, 52 and 3, chapter 1, approximately 18 years passes. So in other words, at the age of 12, we get a glimpse of the human Jesus. 18 years later, we get another glimpse. We don't know anything that happened really during that time, but we have an indication a little bit. I quote on, it says, yet this brief statement gives us a good overview of Jesus' overall development. From this passage describing the letter years of Jesus' life, we get a further glimpse of his life. From Matthew 13, 53 through Mark 6, 3, we learn that he grew up in a large family. We learn that his father was a carpenter. We believe that Jesus learned the carpentry trade. Since Joseph is never mentioned again in the gospel accounts, we believe that he likely died before Jesus began his public ministry. We believe that Jesus probably took over and began to provide as the leader of his house. In the carpenter trade, he would have, he would have made household repairs, furniture. He would have constructed tools for agriculture, plows and yokes. During all of these years, we are told that he became a well-rounded individual, developing mentally wisdom, physically stature, socially and spiritually in favor with God with men and God, fully conscious that God was his father, end quote. When we see Jesus, what do we see? We see him walking on the water, absolutely. We see him being transfigured on the mountain, absolutely. We see him raising the dead, but you know what we also see? We see a very human Jesus. We see a Jesus that had a mom and dad. We see Jesus learning a trade. We see Jesus doing things that human beings do. Why? Because we don't have a savior that just stayed up in heaven and and gave dictates about what we need to do. We have a God in the person of Jesus Christ who came near to us. He came in human flesh. He is God in human flesh. And he experienced all the commonalities of life. But not only that, as we look at this doctrine of the humanity of Jesus, not only do we see that he experienced all the commonalities of life, but secondly, quickly, that we also realize that Jesus, God in the flesh, encountered uh, the human condition in all of its complexities. Now you realize life can become very complex. Our world is very complex right now. Jesus is not unfamiliar with that. He faced All the difficulties that you and I face. And life can be very hard. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I just want someone to understand my hurt, Pastor. I want someone to understand what I'm going through. You do have someone. His name is Jesus. I'm telling you, he didn't just experience all the commonalities of life. He's encountered every complexity that you and I will ever deal with. Think about this. Think about the complexities that Jesus dealt with. And I'll list these and you'll you'll be for me with them at some level. Think about the personal suffering of Jesus. Jesus didn't come and insulate himself from all the pains. What about, think about this as a human being, the God man in human flesh, a true man, the personal suffering. Like what, Pastor? What about loss of friendships? You ever lost friendships? Jesus did. The Bible says Judas betrayed him. Now we've demonized Judas, which we probably should. But you realize the Bible indicates in the prophet scriptures of Psalms that Jesus and Judas were true friends. Here's what it says in the Psalmist 41.9. Even my own familiar friend. This is a prophetic psalm about Judas and Jesus. Even my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. What about Peter? Peter denied Jesus not once, but Peter denied even knowing Jesus three different times. And Mark records it. Peter said, even if, even if everyone's made to stumble, I won't. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he did deny him. I don't know him. I don't, I don't, I'm not associated with him. No, think about it. When Jesus needed him the most, he said, I don't know him. Don't you know that I had to hurt his heart? What about loss of support? You know, sometimes when we follow Jesus, we lose even family support. See, Jesus said, you've got to love, mother, you've got to love him more than mother, father, sister, brother, even anything. Do you realize that Jesus' own family didn't even believe in him? We read scriptures that they thought he was out of his mind. They tried to come and take him away. It says in the book of John 7 verse 5, even his brothers did not believe in him. Have you ever had a family member walk away from you because of your relationship with God? Jesus did. We know that Jesus was hated by the world. John 7 and 7 says it this way, the world cannot hate you, but Jesus said, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Do you realize that following Jesus and just preaching the clear word of God will get the hatred of the world? Jesus was just saying what the Father wanted him to say, and the world hated him. 
Herod even wanted to kill Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus, among more than anyone, can identify with the aborted babies that have been aborted in the wombs of their mother? Why? Because it says that Herod was seeking to kill Jesus. I believe Jesus has a special heart for those babies. And you say, Pastor, what happens to those aborted babies? Notice I said aborted babies. They're babies. They're children. The Bible didn't say Mary was with fetus or Elizabeth was with fetus. Mary was with child. Elizabeth was with child. With child. It's a child. It's a child. Where do those babies go? I believe the moment. See, life begins at conception. And the moment that life is terminated by some wicked doctor, at that next moment, I believe that they're in the presence of Jesus. Come on, hallelujah. Jesus said, that's what Jesus said about children, did he not? Of such are the kingdom of heaven. Those, there's going to be millions. Do you realize there's been some 60 million children that have been aborted and that, that from America, if my stats are right, 60 million babies that are going to be in heaven with Jesus never did any wrong. They'll still need the blood. I don't know all the intricacies of that, but I know this, that little babies are innocent. Hallelujah. Jesus also knew personal sorrow. Jesus knew what it was in a human way, in the complexity of losing a friend. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept. Those weren't crocodile tears. Those weren't, you know, made up emotions. He really felt that from his heart. Read the Greek text. It's, it's very, very strong. He weeps. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved staying in their home. The, the last week of his life, he wouldn't even stay in Jerusalem. He'd go teach and he'd go out to their home. There was something about that home. That was his friend. He felt that sorrow. Jesus faced the disappointment of watching people make bad choices. Have you watched people do that in your own family, in your own life? They make bad choices over and over and over again. Here's what it said. Jesus drew near to Jerusalem in, in Luke 19.41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why was he weeping? He was weeping because he knew that they had made a choice to reject him, which is the worst choice anyone could ever make. Jesus encountered these complexities. Jesus experienced sickness in others. He ministered healing to the sick and to the suffering. It says when he saw the multitude coming, he was moved with compassion. Of the 13 times that phrase is used in the New Testament, 11 times it's directly connected with healing. He's moved with compassion. Have you ever been by the bedside of a sick person and watched this cancer or some sickness and you just, you want to, you want to lay in the bed with them and help them? Jesus experienced that. Jesus experienced the assaults of Satan. Jesus experienced a spiritual warfare in it with an intensity that no one in this room could ever imagine. We know that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that Satan tempted him three different times or four, uh, three different times over those 40 days, tempting him to turn him away from the mission of redeeming the world. And everyone in this room has known that complexity of temptation. There's not a person in this room or living that does not know temptation in this world. Jesus, as a human being, experienced those things. 
Jesus experienced even his own chosen apostles being used by the enemy to turn him away from his heavenly mission. Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, far be it from you from doing this. He was saying he was going to go to the cross. Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. It was Satan using and influencing Peter's mind to try to hinder Jesus. You ever had somebody turn you, try to turn you away from God, get you to go back to the world? That's what Jesus experienced in that sense. Jesus encountered all the complexities of the human experience. Separation on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was there on the cross that Jesus felt the deep darkness of that loneliness and that separation from his heavenly father. There are many today that are experiencing loneliness, suicide, emotional problems are on the rise. Calls to psychiatrists and psychologists are, are, are probably at record numbers right now. You said, I, I feel so lonely. Jesus understands that. He experienced that feeling, that complexity of suffering. He was a man. Jesus experienced shame. On the cross, he took our shame. On the cross, he took our ridicule as he hung on the cross. Hebrews says that he despised, he endured the cross and despised the shame. The cross was, was not something Jesus enjoyed. There was a shame there as he hung. He took our shame. We're living in a, we're living in a cancel culture. A cancel culture. The cancel culture was alive in Jesus' day. They canceled Jesus. Today, if you say something or if you believe something that's not PC, you will get canceled. But I can tell you this. No one needs to cancel me. I have already been canceled. You say, when were you canceled? I was canceled 2,000 years ago, according to Galatians 2 and 2. It says, having been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life is gone. Nobody has to cancel me. My sin and all that I was in my old life, it's gone. It's nailed to the cross. I am new in Christ Jesus, and no one can change that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I am not looking for acceptance, nor am I looking for applause from this world. Go ahead and cancel me because I've received acceptance from the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't need any other opinion today. I've got the opinion that I'm beloved in him and he's in me and I know where I'm headed. How about you? Jesus took that canceling. He took that shame. So if you get canceled for your belief in the word of God, if you get canceled for being a Christian, I want you to rejoice because Jesus was canceled right along with you. He experienced that shame. He experienced stubborn, difficult people. I know none of you have ever dealt with those kind of people. Jesus ministered to people who were difficult and hard to deal with. The religious leaders of his day. Jesus was wanting to heal a broken person. A sick person. And here's what it says in Mark. It says that when he looked around. He looked around with anger. Jesus became angry. At their hardness. There are people that are so messed up. That they rejoice in making things hard. I do not understand it. But I'm telling you. 
I don't know if it's the devil in them or if they're just crazy. But you know as well as I do, you've worked in a the world. There are people that you can have an office situation and you let someone come in with that kind of attitude and all of a sudden what was a joy becomes a drudgery. That's how the religious Pharisees were. They were stubborn and they were difficult. And the Bible said Jesus being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Even Jesus' own followers. You know, at first there were great miracles. At first there were great multitudes. But you ever notice, if you really read your Bible, the closer Jesus came to the cross, the crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Don't ever go by the crowd. Read the last verse of John, St. John chapter 2. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in men. He knows what's in the crowd. He knows the hearts that are there. And it says of Jesus, this crowd, he preached a sermon that they didn't like. As long as he was saying what they wanted him to say. As long as he was feeding the multitudes and giving us our food and giving us our miracles, it was great. But when he presented the cross to them, it says, in the, it says these words in John six sixty six. Many of his disciples, his disciples went back and walked with him no more. In fact, it came to the end where Jesus ministered to a hardened generation. We're ministering to a hardened generation today. We're ministering in a generation who've been raised in liberalism, liberal colleges that hate this country. There's people that hate this country. They hate the flag. Where's, we need to get the flag back out. I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm going to get this flag out. I'm going to put 10 flags in here. I love this land. I love this country. I thank God for this nation. I thank God for those that came to this land and wanted to worship God. Thank God for those who fought. I was in, uh, I think I posted a picture. I was at the, the naval base in Pensacola, Florida recently. And as I was there, those, those uh, blue angels were flying over me. And it was amazing. It was their day to practice. It was, the it was the best day. It was the best, more than all that we did. That was my favorite thing. Those blue angels were doing their maneuvers and they were practicing where that, where that if you were at a, you know, if you were, they were doing one of their shows, they wouldn't fly over the crowd. Well, they were practicing. They'd fly, they were flying over our head by about 300 feet and just, it was like, it'd shake you to your core. But there's a, there's a cemetery there. And I walked that cemetery. As far as I could see, there were white crosses of men and women who'd given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. As far as I could see, as far as the naked I could see. And I was so moved. I took pictures. I think I posted it. I want you to know we need to love the flag. Come on. We need to honor. We need to honor those who've laid down their lives. But we're ministering to a hardened generation to finally the, the generation that Jesus dealt with in all of its complexity, blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And you know that story. The human experience with his complexities. We all deal with that. Lastly, I'll close with this. Now think about it. Jesus experienced the human condition in all of its commonalities. Jesus encountered the human condition with all of its complexities. But I close with this today as our band gets ready. 
Not only that, but Jesus, God in the flesh, enriches the human condition with all of his consolations. Jesus stepping into humanity changed us forever. I'm changed forever. You and I are not what we used to be. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Come on. Here's what it says in Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, therefore, if there is any consolation of being in Christ, if any comfort of his love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affections and mercy, he's talking about the blessing of being in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stepping into this world as the God-man, fully God, fully man, and, and, and saying to us, whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely has changed this world forever. Humanity can be changed. I don't have to die in darkness of sin. I don't have to be the person that I used to be. The blood of Jesus Christ can change everything. So consider this as we close. Jesus enriches us by salvation from sin. He lifts up, he lifts us out of Adam's fallen race and he brings us into his redeemed body. When you're a child of God, your identity becomes in Christ, period. You're a child of God. I could, I've been to airports all over the world. I can see someone, they can be different than me in every way. We find out we're a Christian and we realize we're part of the family. Salvation it has eternal consolations because of the human Jesus that came and identified with us. That means this, that in Christ, sin's power is broken over us. That means this, Satan's plans have been canceled over us. That means that the second death has been overcome and no true child of God will ever have to experience the eternal flames of hell because we have been delivered from that wrath to come. Why? Because Jesus and what he has done. Jesus enriches us by his spirit's presence. It's a struggle. And you know what? Even Christians, we struggle. Don't we struggle along the way? We're trying to live for God. The powers of hell raised against us. We're trying to build the church. We're trying to live for the Lord. And we struggle along the way. But I want you to know that Jesus enriches us by his presence. How does he do it? He does it by the Holy Spirit. He did it by, it says in Romans 8, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, in account, on account of sin. Now notice this, verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are enriched by his eternal supplication. Hebrews says he ever lives to intercede for us. Think about this, I conclude. What does the humanity of Jesus mean? It means this, as a man, Jesus made perfect atonement for my sins. As a man, 
It says, just as one man plunged the world into sin, one man's righteous act brings righteousness to everyone who will believe. And that one man is the man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus as a man gives us the gift of the resurrection. Our physical bodies will be resurrected because of the man, Jesus. How do I know it? 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the, the dead. Since Jesus came out of the dead, uh, out of the grave, I'm coming out of the grave and so are you. Hallelujah. What does it mean? Jesus as a man is able to help me in my earthly journey. Verse 18 of Hebrews, and I end. For in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he is able, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He's able to help us. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus experienced all the commonalities. He engaged all the complexities. But he enriches us because he lifts us up and gives us the blessing from heaven. He can help you today. He can help me today. Jesus is for you and I want you to...